over that song. So yeah, so first off, you know, I I have a, a call session that I do once a month. Um, I also coach uh, Scott Durkin, and I coach uh, Howard Lauber. I and I coach Stephen Larkin and Stephanie as well. So they are a hundred percent behind helping you, the agent, do better um, and do anything that they can to assist in providing. Uh, better services for better platforms so you can succeed. Uh, and that's sort of why I'm here today. For those that don't know me, I am, I've been coaching real estate agents for over the last 10 years, primarily with Douglas Elliman, uh, Manhattan, Westchester, uh, Connecticut, Long Island, Florida. And I really work with those that are either top producers or I call them like the rising stars, the people that you know have experience, they know what they want to do, and now they just want to get to the next level. And even top producers are at one level, they want to get to the next level. And what I first want to address, if I may, is really the mental aspect of success. Learning how to speak better or more, uh, more, become more influential, learning how to do things better, have better processes, et cetera, et cetera, is nothing more than saying learning how to lose weight and go on a diet. And we all know how successful diets are, they often fail. And there's a reason for this. And it comes down to something which really has to do with real estate as well. And it's called the monkey theory. People are like monkeys. We're not gonna let go of one vine until the other vine is in our hand. In real estate, if a seller wants to sell their home and they don't know where they're going, they're not gonna be a very motivated seller and they're gonna sabotage the sale. We have to know where we're going. We have to have a destination. We need to have that certainty. Listen, if everybody here plans a vacation, Florida or wherever the case you, you want to go, I suspect that the majority of you are going to have a hotel room booked before you leave. Fair enough? And that's just a vacation. So what we have to understand is we all live in this comfort zone in our head. And this comfort zone, also known as the habitat, only has so much square footage of, of space for success. And if we want to have more success, well, we need, guess what? We need a bigger place. If I live in a two-bedroom small home with, let's say, 1,500 square feet, and I say, well, I, I need to have more space. I want to bring in a grand piano. I want to bring in bigger furniture. The answer is simple. Move to a bigger home. We can't just do the activities without having a clear destination. So when 2021 starts, as it started, everybody has to have a clear destination. You have to own the place where you're going. Most of us own where we are and we're defined where we are you know i always say that if a student always gets b's in school what do they identify themselves as a b student and what do you think they're going to end up with b's are they capable of getting a's absolutely but the reason they get b's is because they identify themselves as a b student so if you're an agent and i'm just going to come up with numbers and if you're doing $250,000 a year in GCI, let's say that's how you measure yourself, and that's your results, eventually, subconsciously, you're going to say, I'm about a $250,000 GCI producer. 
That's how much square footage you have for success. Oh, but I want to make more money. Well, that's nice. Until you get a bigger habitat and a bigger comfort zone that you own, you're not going to let go of one vine until the other vine is in our hand. So simply, this is what we do. The first thing that we do is we re-identify ourselves as the person we want to be as if we're that person now. So, for example, if I was a $250,000 GCI producer, I would say I am a $500,000 producer. That's step number one. I am a $500,000 producer. That must be your commercial every single day, several days, several times during the day. The more times you hear it, the more times you will believe it. When you believe it, when you have the certainty about it, then you will become it. Then the next thing that you need to do is saying is create an activity plan. But you can't do the same activity that you did to be 250 and expect to do 500. You have to then change the question. The question must be, what does a $500,000 producer do? That should be on a post-it note in front of your computer so you see it every single day. And when the question comes up, what do I do in this case? Look at that question. That's going to give you the answer. Should I email or should I call my client? What does a half a million dollar producer do? Well, they call. There's your answer. Should I post on social media, you know, more consistently? Well, what does a half a million dollar producer do? They do it. There's your answer. You follow? But if you don't have the destination and you don't have the question, everything that you're doing is going to be a dot. You're, you're going to take a vacation from yourself. You're going to ride this, the, the high tide of the market. And then eventually you're going to end up going back to where you, you've been. That's a number that is called the human performance code. And I don't care if you're in real estate, if you're a professional athlete, I don't care whatever, a student. You must re-identify yourself, but you, may, you have to do it on a consistent basis. It's not just once in a while. It's every single day. I am. I am. If a person wants to really get, become healthy, the first thing they have to do is re-identify themselves as I am a healthy person. What does a healthy person do? And if you do that on a consistent basis, boom, it naturally happens. There's no willpower. And then all of a sudden, the phone rings. And all of a sudden, that deal comes in. And all of a sudden, that client you met a year ago calls you. So that's the first aspect, which is the mental part about setting a destination. The difference between a real buyer and someone who's not a real buyer is a real buyer knows what they're looking for. Someone who's not a real buyer is less clear. A real seller versus somebody who's not a real seller, a real seller knows what their next step is. Someone who's not a real seller doesn't. Someone who's really a real person who, who's primed for success versus somebody who's not primed for success, a person who's primed for success has a destination where they're going. Are we clear with that? Does that make sense? If there's any questions, by the way, if I'm sharing anything with a Dotstone Connect, feel free to send me messages or ask questions. I'll be more than happy to ask questions. The next part I want to talk about is about confidence. This is a confidence game. People are deciding to buy you, to hire you, based on one thing and one thing only, certainty. And certainty and confidence goes hand in hand. 
You know, it's no different if you were lost and you ask somebody for directions and they sound kind of wishy-washy, and then you ask somebody else and they sounded a lot more confident, who would you listen to? We listen to the person who's more confident. So if you're going to offer confidence, you have to build confidence on the inside. So very simple, there's a very easy exercise to do to build confidence. Every single day, look at those things that you resist doing and do it. Everybody has resistance points. I resist making those extra phone calls. I resist confronting that client. I resist digging deeper. I resist picking up the phone and calling somebody. I resist whatever the case may be. If I want to build your, if you want to build your muscles, you must add resistance. Confidence is a muscle. You must add resistance. So far, so good, everybody. Is there any questions, challenges? Michael, are you good? Everybody there, anybody wants to, before I go into my next segment, I want to do this segment quickly. Because now that I laid the foundation for success and I laid the foundation of building confidence, now we have the foundation. And now what I want to get into is better ways to influence and communicate. And I call this segment, say this, not that. So many times we're using words or we're making requests that we don't realize are sabotaging our chances of saying yes, of getting yeses. One thing we have to understand, people don't want to commit too soon. They want to stay in control of the commitment process. And if they feel that you're gaining control over them, or that you're asking for a commitment that's too great, they will find ways to say no. That's what our defense mechanism is about. Our defense mechanism will get triggered if somebody is trying to take control. Understand something. When you ask somebody to do something, if they say yes, they are in fact giving up control. People don't like to give up control. Some people have a higher tolerance of giving up control than other people. But I will say this, when we are going through the process as a client of buying or selling, the need for control is greater because we're losing control. So we have to be very careful. The words that we use, how we make people feel to make sure that we're not triggering a defense mechanism that puts people feel this is too much of a commitment too soon. So very simply, when you are calling a client, you met a buyer at an open house, or you did a listing presentation, you never say, I'm calling to follow up. Don't say that. Say this instead. I'm calling to continue our conversation. Now, let's explain the difference. Following up is putting somebody on the spot. Like, I'm following up. Do you have a decision yet? I'm following up. Do you have those details yet? That's a much higher commitment. A person's going to say, I'm going to back out of that. Continue the conversation. Yeah, I'll say yes to that. So that is the way in which you broach a subject. I'm just calling to continue the conversation. Number two. When you're dealing with a new client, a new buyer, 
Never say, I'm let me do some research and let me send you some listings. I'm explaining why. It's called the coffee is already made. Imagine, if you will, that you went to a friend's house and the mother came downstairs, you're sitting in the kitchen, just work with me on this. Very nice lady, wants to help you. And she, and she goes, can I get you a cup of coffee? And he goes, sure, that'd be nice. She goes, good. Let me go to the cabinet, pull out my big coffee maker, and let me brew a fresh pot of coffee just for you. I think most of us are going to feel, no, 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 don't bother. It's too much. Because when people do too much for us, it makes us feel obligated. And we don't like that sense of obligation. So we will naturally try to know, back out of it, or oftentimes ghost you. But what if that mother said, listen, I just made a pot of coffee. Can I pour you a cup? Well, the coffee's already made. Sure. Less effort, less obligation. So what does that have to do with sending? Well, here's the deal. When you say to somebody, let me do some research, let me, get, let me send you some listings, that implies that you're doing a lot of work. You have to make a fresh pot of coffee. Use this word instead. Let me forward you some listings. Forward means it's already made. Send means you may have to do some work. I know it may, it may seem a little bit to you, but subconsciously, we are picking up between those two. Let me forward you some listings. Let me send you some listings. Which to you sounds less effortless, with less effort? Forward. Okay, sure. Why not? When you call up a client after they came to an open house and they saw a property, never use the word... Say, I'm just calling to get your feedback. I'm just calling to get your feedback. That's another high commitment word. When people hear that, they said, okay, you, you, you're, you're ready to get, give me a yes or no right now. I'm calling to get your thoughts. You got that? I'm calling to get your thoughts. So I'm willing to give you an example of a really great way to do a follow-up call to a client who saw a property of mine. So I'm going to use, I'm going to say, Michael is my client. Okay, Michael, if you can unmute yourself. I'm just going to role play this real fast. And I'm going to show how we do this. Michael, you there? Yeah, I'm all set. Okay, so now, Michael, you came to see, um, I met you at my listing at, on Main Street. And now I'm going to do the follow-up call. We had a great little conversation. He said, thank you for the nice meeting you again. Got it out and you're off on your own. But I want to do the follow-up, right? So Aaron, make believe you're answering the phone, Michael. Yes, hello, it's Michael. Hey, Mike, you're the, Michael, by the way, you're the buyer in this case, okay? Just so you know your role. You got right. it? Yep, I got it. Hey, Michael, Michael, hi, it's Gary from Douglas Salomon. How are you today? I'm well, thanks, Gary. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I don't know if, you know if you remember, we met yesterday at my listing on Main Street in Greenwich, Connecticut, and I was just calling to continue our conversation. I'm not sure if that house was right for you or not, but I'd love to get your thoughts. Yeah, you know, um, I've been thinking a lot about it. You know, it kind of checks off, you know, a lot of the boxes, uh, what I'm looking for. I'm just trying to figure out if the things that are missing, if it's something I can live without or if I want to continue looking. All right. So ideally, what would what would you see yourself living in? 
the house that, uh, you know, I would like to combine probably the, the four or five things about that house that I really liked. And, you know, there was another house that I saw yesterday on open house. Um, and there were like two things, three things from there. So if I can combine the two, that would be awesome. You know, probably one of the, the biggest things that's missing from uh, the house that you and I met at is a swimming pool. Mm-hmm. And that's important to you, right? It is. Okay. So if the house, if, if the house you saw yesterday had a swimming pool, would you say that's the house I want? I think that would probably push me over the edge to deciding that that, that okay. you know that that's the house I would go with. Yeah, I, I do. I think excellent. So. And the price point of the house that I showed you was one point five million. Is that the general price range you're looking? Uh, yeah, I'm comfortable with that. Okay, good. You know, there's a couple of the houses that I saw that are very similar to the one of mine, and and a couple of them have a pool. Um, would it, let me forward them that to you, and let me get back to you and let you get your thoughts on that. Is that okay? That'd be terrific. I'd really appreciate Great. it. Thank you. Boom, done. Okay, thank you, Michael. That and we say goodbye. I, I kind of condensed it a little bit. I I would have just for timing, but you get the idea, Michael. How did that How did that make you feel? Do you feel pressured by my conversation? No, not at all. It felt, it did you feel it was, a, it was? Did you feel it was? It was a good. It had a nice feel to it, right? I wasn't trying to sell you or push you in, right? Yeah, it felt casual. It felt like it had a good flow. Bingo. Exactly. Now remember. So when we get off the phone. What would you think your experience would be with speaking to me? Would it be like, oh no, he's a, he's a shark, he's trying to sell me? Or you know what, talking to Gary was pleasant and it was, it was okay. Yeah, I think, you know, it's two things. I, I, my impression would be one was that it was okay, that it was good, I didn't feel pressured. I didn't feel like, you know, that it was a sales pitch. Mm -hmm. I think the other is I'd, I would walk away from the conversation thinking you're trying to help me, which is, I think yeah. the word help. So, so basically what you're saying is that when I call you after I, after I forward you the listings and I call you in a couple of days, more than likely you will engage with me again, right? Correct. So I got a second date, didn't I, Michael? Yes, you did. Okay, that's the objective. You don't want to get married on the first phone call. You want to get the second date and then the second date small little baby steps of commitment. And, and if you notice, I asked open-ended conversational questions. I didn't say, well, how many bedrooms are you looking for or whatever? And I didn't even say, what is missing? I said, ideally, what do you, would you see yourself living in? Because she kind of said, if it had this three things here and four things there, I didn't say, what are the three things and four things? I said, ideally, what do you see yourself living in? Now, it's very interesting. The last thing someone says is the most important to them emotionally. The last thing that Michael said to me was the swimming pool. That was, that's called the, that is called the emotional trigger. Somebody could say, I want to make it, I want, I love the house. I wish, but which I really wish it was mid block and not on a busy street or whatever the case may be, or it was a ranch or not a, a two story. Listen to the last thing that they say. The last thing that people say are the most important. Is that clear? It is. Gary, I've got a question for you. In that in, in the role play with the swimming pool, would you would you go down the path of, you know, we can maybe get a pool site, have somebody come in, you know, there's room for a pool. Would you go down that route or you wouldn't even That's going to be a conversation you and I would have, perhaps after the second date. Okay. I want to make sure that I am I am engaging with you. I do not want our relationship to be based on if my property, I'm only as good as my property. 
I want to be viewed as a person who can help you find the home of your dreams. Does that make sense? It does. So what I will do is when I send you these other listings and we talk about it further, and Michael, that's a great point you brought up. What I will do then in that particular case is I may say, Michael, by the way, let's look at these houses. And you know what, Michael, I did some homework for you. And there's another great word to use with people, homework. When I was in high school and someone did my homework for me, I owed them lunch for the whole year. The payback wasn't really uh, fair, right? I think everybody can experience. So when I, I want to use words that trigger an emotional feeling or emotional experiences of the past, because that's how we connect. You follow? Yep. So I said, no, Michael, I did some homework. And what I did is I, I just looked at the house, you know, a pool being put in, how much it would cost, blah, 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 whatever the case may be, how hard it is. And then this way you'll be armed with that information. So yes, I'm just, what I'm doing, but I'm doing it in small steps. You follow? So yes, absolutely. I'm not going to take anything off the table and I'm going to provide some options with you. You know, I think it makes sense what you're saying too, because it goes back to even what I had said. It felt like there was no pressure. There was no sales. That's the point. Right. right, exactly. And if, and if you had started to problem solve on that house with the pool right away, then maybe the conversation shifts a little bit. Well, then what, what happens then is this, okay? Great, Gary, you're great for that one house. And if another house comes up that someone else calls me about, I'm going to see that house with, with I'm not going to be loyal to you. Right. So that's, that's why that's important. Now let's talk about when you talk to a buyer who calls you about a listing you have and they want to see a listing. And even if it's another agent calling you about your listing and they want to show it, this is a question you must be asking to everybody who calls you about, I, I saw your listing and we want to see it, or hi, this is Gary from Douglas Settlement. I have a client that wants to see your house. If you are the agent, this is the, the question you must ask after you say, sure, no problem. You make the appointment say, I'm just curious. What compelled you about the house to reach out? Now I'm getting some information. Compel. There are five super words. Now let me explain what a super word is, and I'm going to give you what those super words are, and you should use them in your vocabulary. I'm a basically a scientist at heart. I studied the science of human behavior and I translated into how we communicate. A super word is a word that goes directly to the emotional mind. People make emotional decisions. They do not make rational decisions. The rational mind serves, is a servant of the emotional mind. When a question goes into the rational mind first, the defense mechanism will then take that and they'll answer you the way you, it wants you to hear. The emotional mind's like a child. It's gonna spit out and say things that are completely open. A super word bypasses the rational mind and goes right into the emotional mind. You got that? It's getting past the gatekeeper. These are the five super words. Compel. Compel is another word for motivate. What is motivating you? What is motive? The word is compel. What's compelling you to look? What's compelling you to list? What compelled you about this property? Instead of saying why, if you say why are you moving or why are you looking, 
that my rational mind can pick that word up and it's going to say, well, we figure blah, 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 but we're in no rush. The word compel becomes a much more beautiful, open, you're going to get lots of information. More information for you, the better. The next super word is see. We only see with our emotional mind. Our rational mind is completely blind. It can't see. So the emotional mind is, so what do you see yourself living in? Not what are you looking for? Not how many bedrooms you want. Avoid direct questions in the beginning. The more the direct question, the higher the level of commitment, the more pressure a person feels. You get that? You want to ask open-ended conversational questions. Ideally, what do you see yourself living in? The next word, super word, is the word feel. Because we everything we buy is based on feelings. How does this home make you feel? How does this view make you feel? Get in touch with their feelings. That's their emotional mind. The next super word is the word gamble. I love this super word. It's one of my favorites. You know when uh, a client tells you what they're going to do and why they're going to, well, you know, we're going to, we figured in this market, we're going to price it really high and then we're going to wait and see. And that's our, that's their strategy. A strategy is something that is thought out, the risks, the rewards, and every, you know, they, they're thinking they know what they're doing. No one likes to gamble. So if you throw that word in subconsciously, it scares the heck out of people. So if Michael was a seller of mine, he goes, you know, Gary, I think, you know, listen, he wants to sell his house for 1.5 million. I'm using that as it's a number. And I have an offer of 1.335. Let's use that, right? Because, you know, I think I'm going to hold out and wait. I said, Michael, you really don't want to gamble in this market. Or if, if you're a buyer and you want to come in too low, I don't, you don't, you really don't want to gamble in this market by losing. That word gamble changes your whole aspect of a strategy to gambling. And that just creates a lot of uncertainty. So the word gamble is, a, is another word. So we have, Michael, do you have a question for me or, or you're good? You're, you're muted, Michael. Sorry, I do, I have a question for you. Would you tie the gamble into the 135 number? In other words, you know, you're gambling 135 in the hopes of getting, you know, 50,000 more, whatever, would you tie the two together or you would not? Well, who am I talking to, the seller, you mean? Yes, I'm sorry, the seller. So I would say to the seller, listen, you know, and, and the idea is when you use a super word, don't over, don't over explain why it's a gamble because then you're taking it from the emotional mind to the rational mind, right? So I would say, Michael, listen, you're the seller. Michael, listen, we got an offer 135. And, and it, that's a strong offer. And honestly, in this market, you really don't want, which, by holding out for 1.5, all you're doing is gambling. And I don't really want to gamble with your money. And that's it. And it's going to sit into your mind. And you're going to say, wow, I thought, I thought that was a strategy, but maybe it's just a gamble. Got it. You got it? That's the way you use it. Good. Thank you. The, the next super word is the word educate. Now, let me explain why this is a super word. Most people don't understand this, but it's a really powerful word to use, and I've used it myself. It's, called, it's a super word because it's called an identifier. If I said to Michael, Michael, why don't you educate me a little bit of what you've seen so far? When Michael hears that word educate, he then is going to assume the position 
of an educator. And an educator tends to over-explain details rather than try to hold things back. You see, the clients you deal with, they're trying to tell you as little as possible so they don't feel vulnerable. Generally, fair enough. I need them to open up and share more so I can then be a detective and connect the dots. So if I said to Michael, what, how long have you been looking? What else have you seen? He can answer that question as Michael, the client who wants to keep as much close to the vest as possible. But if I said, Michael, why don't you could you educate me what you've seen so far, what you liked? Well, now Michael's a teacher. He's the educator. Sure, Gary, the student, let me over explain everything. So just from a personal note, I had about a couple of several years ago, I, I had to buy a second car. So I went to a, uh, a pre-owned dealership and I'm looking around, they have different models. And I said to the car salesman, I said, you know, I'm so confused. Could you educate me a little bit about the models and what's available? He went into the different models. He went into how much money is in, how much money they make. He went into all this information that by the end of the day, I made a deal with him, not because I'm a great negotiator, because he told me, he gave me all the information up front. Information is your friend. You know, in baseball, if the hitter knows what the pitch is going to throw, that hitter becomes an all-star hitter. If you know what your clients are thinking and you can get that, extrapolate that information without them realizing it, well, that makes you so much more powerful. Does that make sense? So again, here are the super words. See, feel, compel, gamble, and educate. Got it? Now, let's talk about control. The tug of war of control. People will not want, do not want to say yes to you, not because you're wrong, not because you don't make any rational sense. And again, because by saying yes to you, they're giving up control and people don't want to give up control. It happens in business and it happens in our personal life too. How do you get people to say yes? Ah, there's a way. Options. Options give people a sense of control. So if you're asking somebody to do something, okay, good. I'm sorry, I just saw the, the text mark. If you're asking somebody to do something, if you give them options afterwards, and I'll give you an example, the probability is that they will choose one of the two options you give them around 85% of the time. If you don't give them options, then they're gonna say no. So let's suppose Michael was my seller and we needed to lower the price. He's priced at $2 million and we need to lower it to let's say like one eight. I'm just using this as an example. Typically you go through the whole thing and I would say, Michael, listen, we need, we need to have a conversation about lowering the price, da 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 This is, listen, we need to lower the price, um, and we can lower it between 1.8 to 1.85, whichever, whichever of the two you feel most comfortable with. By giving him the option, gives him a sense of control. 
when you give people options to say yes or no, then all of a sudden, once control, the sense of the need for control goes away, you got them. You got them. When people say, what's your commission you charge? And I say, I charge 6%. Well, so-and-so charges 5%. You know, well, you get what you pay for. And if I don't fight, if I negotiate my commission too easily, then I'm not going to negotiate for you. That's all garbage. All people care about is what's good for them. Let me give you another example of how I would do it. Okay. Michael, what I want you to do now is to be the client, the seller. We're going to have, we're going to have a commission conversation. Okay. Okay. All right. So you're going to say, Gary, what commission do you charge? Gary, what commission do you charge? I charge 5% for direct and 6% for co-broke. Can you explain to me what that means? Sure. If a direct seller comes without another broker, we charge them 5%. If it's a co-broker, another broker comes in, we charge them 6%. That seems a little high. I just had somebody in from, you know, XYZ company and Mm -hmm. they'll do it for 4%. Okay. So let me... 100% 100% understand, Michael, it's a great point. I'm glad you brought it up. Let me explain why we do it, and you can decide what's, what you feel most comfortable with. Fair enough? Sure. Okay. The objective is to position your house to be as compelling to the buyers and to the market as possible, right? That's how you can get the most amount of money, right? So that's why we're putting you on the web pages, on the search engines. We're getting the greatest pictures. I'm going to do a video. We're doing everything we can. So when people see this house, they're going to say, wow, we got to see it. Other brokers out there in the community is part of our sales staff, if you will. Those are our salespeople. When we charge 6%, we are giving them a commission higher than if we charged, if I only charge 4%. We're giving them an incentive. Now, When they have a buyer and the buyer wants to see some homes and there's your home and there's somebody else's home and you're paying them a higher commission, who are they bringing the buyers to first? Don't you think that the clients are going to find, you know, the the buyers for my house are going to find it themselves on Zillow? Well, what they'll look on Zillow, but then 85% to 95% of all home sold are sold through co-growth deals. Okay, not direct buyers. So what's going to happen then is another broker is going to reach out to me and say, I have a client that wants to see your house. And that's why we do it. Now, if they, if those, and you're right, Michael, if those people want to see it through Zillow and they want to come direct, you're not paying six, you're only paying five. But, in, but don't you think they'll reach out to their own agent? So I'm still going to end up paying six. Yeah, no, because they, they reach out to their own agent. Right. And the owner agent is going to call me to show them the house. But because we're paying that agent a little more commission than the other, than your competition, where are they bringing that buyer first? To your house, Michael. Do you want buyers to come to your house first rather than every, any other house? Of course. Then that's why we have to do it. Now, if, you're, if, you don't, if you don't want to stand out like that, which is fine, and you want to fit in, yes, then we can do it for a little bit. We can do it for a, a more comp- a lower commission. That's all, that. Tell me what you want to do. How much lower? 
I can probably go down to I can I can do the direct at four and a half, and I can do the uh, cobro at five and a half. At that point, you would still be standing out compared to the competition. That's the most important factor. We've got to have you stand out compared to the competition. Fair enough? I understand. So let's do it at five and a half. You beat me up. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, so now, what I did there. You ever go look on, in the paper to Lisa Carr, and it says, Lisa, brand new Mercedes for $2.99 a month. Wow, you got to put down like eight grand as a cap reduction cost, right? We've all seen that. That first number is it becomes the emotional hook. What I did in this particular situation with Michael is I gave him the lower number first of a direct deal, five percent, and then I said co-broker six percent. Here's the advantages: number one, he gets five percent, so I'm not really that far off from four percent just as a number goes, right? Number two, I now have two things to negotiate. Four, five, you know, I have the 5% to negotiate and the 6%. So now I can, oh, I'll bring this down a little, I'll bring this down, this one I'll leave, I'll bring this down to four. I could have said, listen, Michael, what we could do is this. We can do the direct deal at 4% and leave the co-broker at six. I could have done that. I did a little bit different. It just depends. As long as you're giving in, people then will start to say, okay, you got that? It's a much more psychological, effective way of doing it. And that's, again, the 299 for the Mercedes. Wow, that's a great price. Yeah, but read the fine print. You know, you can drive 3,000 miles a, a, a year, then you got to pay the over mileage cost. So they're not really getting anything much more than that. Are we clear on that? When you, how do you handle overpriced listing? Very simple, options. And there's two options you want to give somebody. And you always will get the listing. Option number one is called testing the market. Option number two is being in the market. Many brokers just say this, we could try at the higher price and see what happens. Don't say that. We could test it at this price. And after two weeks, we can evaluate it. The word testing has certain expectations that we're all used to. The level of commitment when we test something is lower than when we own it. Trying it, people hear it's going to work. We can try it, and people are going to hear what they want. Well, you said it's going to work. No, we said we could try it. Well, I heard it's going to work because I'm the, I'm the customer, and I want to hear what I want to hear. That's the reality. But when you say the word test, there is no misunderstanding of that. So again, Michael, I need your help with this, okay? In this scenario, Michael, your home should list at $2 million to be compelling in the market. Of course, you being the seller, you want it slightly higher, okay? Got it. So let's suppose in your case, you want to list at like 2.3, okay? okay? So as we're going on the listing presentation, I'm going to ask Michael. So Michael, what number were you thinking of putting, of listing your house house for? Uh, I was thinking two point three. Okay, understood. 
that's actually not a bad number. If this market was a little bit stronger, but this market is kind of softening up a bit. But you know what? There's two ways we could do this, and, and I can work with either way, whichever makes you feel more comfortable. The first way is we can test the market. And this way we can price it at a price in your price range. We could we can uh, see what the results are going to be after two weeks. The benefit is that, we, we, that you'll feel you don't leave any money on the table. The downside is that we're going to miss the splash of being brand new in the market at a very compelling price. So that's testing the market. Well, the other way we can do it is price it to be in the market. And that's the price that will be most compelling with the most, most activity in the first couple of weeks and most likely we'll get a really great price. Of those two ways, Michael, which way do you feel most comfortable to start? You know, I'm worried, Gary, that, you know, I've got to leave some room to negotiate. You know, I'm afraid that if we come in at two, I'm going to get, you know, 1.5 numbers. Mm, no, listen, you're in the power of negotiation because you can always say no. You can draw the line in the sense is no, I'm not taking anything lower. So don't worry about that. If you want to price it so you have room for negotiation, which actually is a smart thing. I like that idea. You want to price it to get people on the dance floor. But you don't want to price it too high where the cost of admission to get in is too high. So to get people on the dance floor, I would price it around 215. That's going to get people onto the dance floor. It gives you some negotiation room. The, the comps are showing it should trade around 2 million between 1.9 to 2 million. So that's the range that we're looking at. And so if we test the range would be between about, about 2.1, maybe 2.2 two in that area. Does that sound like a, a, a number you want to start at? Where, where do you think we have to price it to get a bidding war going? I would price it around 1999. That's another strategy we can take is we can then have a bidding war. And then with this market, you're going to get a higher people. Once people, people hate losing. So they pay, they spend more money when they don't want to lose. You got it. That makes sense. So of those different options, which makes you feel most comfortable? I think I can't, you know, I'm hearing bidding wars are going on. And if you say that we need, you know, the 199 number to actually, you know, tap into that market and maybe drive the price up, you know, I, you know, I think it's worth a shot. Then let's do it. I'm going to put that down in the in the agreement and listing agreement 199. We'll do it at 199, and then we'll get the bidding wars out, and then let's do it that way as well. And then what basically happens is that when people are trying to negotiate down, we can just say no. That that's the lowest number. Nothing lower than that. So we can make we so this way that protects your bottom part of it. Fair enough. Sounds like a plan. Great, Mike. All I need is your signature on this, and we can get rocking and rolling. Fair enough. That's great, Gary. Thanks. I Done. Okay, so Michael, who made who, at the end of the day, did I force you to make the decision or did you feel you made the decision on your own? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was thinking that while we were doing the role play that it felt like, you know, the decision was mine. You were just giving me options each, you know, each time I gave you, you know, you know, scenarios that we come up with as agents all the time. You know, that's- Yeah, you know, options are beautiful because I'm, I'm really in control. You know, I'm, I'm the puppet master. You're doing, you're moving. I know what your next move is going to be by me giving you the options. That's the way you influence people. Do not sell. 
Selling is old. Old script, you know, getting the pre-commitment. If you saw a house today that you like, would you are you willing to buy it today? If you put that on a dating website, no one is going to call you. If you met me, if if you met me and like me, are you willing to get married? All the guys, I'm running away from that. Right? <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, avoid trying to get to get get them to say yes. Guide them along the way. Give them options. Boom, boom, boom. And each option is going down a road. Either road leads back to Gary. If you take this road or that road, it leads back to Gary. The last thing I want to finish up, because then I want to get into some questions real fast, is this. Your best friend to influence is analogies. The more analogies you know and use, the more effective you're going to be. And the reason is analogies speak right to the uh, right to the emotional mind, which creates pictures. In the case of Michael's example, I use the analogy of we want to get people on the dance floor. You heard that, Michael? You can visualize that, right? And we don't want the price of admission to be too high. Another analogy I would use if I was uh, need Michael to lower his his price. I said, Michael, listen, there's fish in the water. We just got to change the bait. Analogies is the best way to influence people. If you are into this informational sword fight with a client, they're bringing up their data, you're bringing up your data, they're bringing up their points, you're bringing up your points, you're not going to win. Switch to an analogy. The minute you use rational information, it's not working, switch to an analogy. So start to study and learn about different analogies that you can use. Okay, I want to open up. Michael, go ahead. I'm sorry, Gary. You know what I liked about when we did it, when we did the role play with the analogies, it, it felt like there, was, there wasn't a wall. It felt like there wasn't um, almost like a competition between us. Do you know what I mean? It felt There's like- no, There was no control tug of war. Right, exactly. And what I got was, you know, right away, you know, your mind goes to the actual picture of, of the analogy yeah. that you're giving me. And by right. doing that, it takes me away from that feeling like we're competing against one another for a price, me wanting one price and you wanting another. You know, it, it literally felt like the, the, that whole part of it just kind of melted away. And like I said, the analogies really gave a total visual, which really kind of helped, you know, problem solving, like get over the hurdles. Well, that's the point, because what I'm doing now is I'm becoming a chef, okay? I'm, I'm evaluating the situation. I have all these ingredients that I have in my toolbox to use, and I'm putting them together. So whatever situation you throw at me, right, I have the ingredients, and I can, I can quickly put them together to create a, a response or to an answer to guide you down a certain way. And that's the way it works. Yeah, that's, okay? yeah, that definitely feels like that's what you did. Yeah, exactly. So you can see what this is about. This is about learning to influence the way you communicate, changing the word from, hey, I'm just calling to follow up to say, hey, I'm just going to continue the conversation. It's a huge icebreaker. It's the icebreakers. And what people, uh, impression of words, hey, I'm calling to follow up. If you heard Michael, I'm calling to follow up about something, you think, okay, he's testing me. I got to I gotta deliver goods right away. I feel... My, my anxiety gets up. I feel I have to deliver. Hey, I'm just going to continue our conversation. Whew. Hey, Mike, I'm just calling for feedback. Feedback. I have to give direct answers. 
Hey, Mike, I just want to get your thoughts. Thoughts. Oh, relax. I can, I'll engage. Um, does I, I, I don't know. Does anybody have any questions that they want to ask me or anything that I... Um, We've got a question from Joe asking if you well, can... you can explain, explain the word... Okay, yeah. so the word gamble. People's impression, client's impression, is that when they come up with what they want to do with pricing, holding out, not holding out, buys coming out, putting low offers in, they think that's a strategy. That's the way they identify it. It's a strategy. And a strategy is based on evaluation of the facts, coming up with a hypothesis, coming up with the assumed risk, and then having a risk versus reward. It's more of a rational scientific approach, and that's what a risk is. There is a certain amount of control in it. There's a certain amount of thought process in it. So even though they're not, they're not just throwing a number out like you're throwing chips on a table, what they're doing in that case is in their mind, it's a well-thought-out strategy. By saying the word gamble, you have now taken that whole perception that they are well-thought-out and says, no, it's not thought-out. It's a bunch of, it's a load of crap. It's not going to work. And then it becomes a gamble. So saying the word gamble makes people feel uncertain. That's the one thing people hate. They hate feeling uncertain. And there's certain words that trigger uncertainty. And the word gamble triggers uncertainty. When people say, you know, why don't, why don't you, you know, people don't want to play the stock market. Why? Because I don't want to gamble with my money. So you hear that word and we can associate word gamble with losing. No one, no one associates gamble with winning. Well, everybody associates gamble with losing. Even, even people who are professional gamblers associate the word gamble with they're prepared to lose before they win. So no one associates the word gamble with winning. The word gamble is associated with losing. And then that's, just, that's called a subliminal influencer word. Do we have any other questions or any other comments, any other thoughts out there? Did you find this to be at all enlightening, helpful? Were you able to you know, grab some few tips from here? I see some people in the panel saying yes. Michael? Yeah, I, honestly, I thought it was terrific. I, you know, I think the role plays really worked. Um, you know, I think that the words, you know, the super words that you gave, I was taking notes if you saw me typing. So I, didn't mm -hmm. have so I was doing it on my phone in the notes section. Um, you know, for me, I thought the super words were awesome. And I thought that the role playing was terrific. Um, and it dealt with honestly what we're dealing with right now. I, th I think it was very, you know, timely. Right. Okay, uh, I just got a text. I loved, I loved what compelled you about the house that made you want to reach out. You yeah, know? and I would even do that. And I even tell my, my clients to tell that if a broker calls you, they want to show your house, you know, another broker. Great, that's great. No problem. Come on over. Look forward. By the way, I'm just curious. What compelled, what compelled your buyer to want to see it? Well, mm -hmm. they really love the back. They love a big backyard. Now you know what to focus on. Now you know, well, they love that neighborhood, or they, they have to stay, they love the neighborhood, they want to stay in that neighborhood. Well, I got some more information. And what's interesting is when you ask that question to a client directly, they're going to have, they're going to open up and share so much information. I got a text from uh, Gloria, Gloria Ann, rather, uh, that she has a question, but I don't, I couldn't see the question. So I apologize for that. 
Glorianne. Glorianne, okay, you want to uh, ask your question? I don't know how you're going to answer. You have to ask it. Try to ask it in the room if possible. I got it. You know what? She, Glorianne texted me. So if she, if she, if Glorianne, if you text me your question, then I'll just read it out. And by the way, while she's texting, I have a Facebook group page that you're all welcome to join. It's free. It's called Be a Real Estate Subliminal Influencer. I do a post in there every Sunday. Uh, some of the top brokers are members, Jason Walker, Paul's Rebin, so on and so forth. Um, so oh. if you, once again, it's called Be a Real Estate Subliminal Influencer. It's a I, Facebook group. I tell Just, you, Gary, I'm a part of it. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, you are, Michael. Exactly. And, and I tell you, I think there's some great information in there. Um, I think everybody should be following and, and kind of keeping up on it and maybe even printing it out or saving that's what I do with yours is I save it so that I can go back and refresh. Yeah. And, and Michael, you can feel, feel, feel free to share it as well. There's no worries with that at all. Yeah. What I've been doing is, you know, we've, we've been fortunate that we've gotten a few uh, new agents recently. Mm -hmm. and yours is one of the ones that I always tell people to follow. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, appreciate it. All right. Um, Glorian so said, just said she'll call you later. Okay. Fair enough. Perfect. All right, and by the way, if you want to Facebook friends me, it's Gary Parks. I'm probably Facebook friends with a lot of you anyhow. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. I'll give you my phone number, my cell number. Text me first, because I'm always in sessions. 516-761-8400. That's 516-761-8400. Call now, but wait, there's more. <laughs> I think I always put a little humor. Now, you're, now, now, you know. You'll understand. 516-761-8400. That's my cell number. That's a pretty damn good cell, cell number. I'm lucky. Um, Michael, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate the opportunity to share. I always love to help. I, I look forward to doing this again sooner than later. Let's, let's get on some type of schedule if possible. I agree. And um, if you have any further questions, text me, email me, uh, um, Facebook, message me. And Michael will stay in touch. Any, Michael, just so I know we're on the same page, what was their takeaway today? What did you find to be most helpful? Or you thought would be most helpful to the agents? I liked, I, you know, I, there were two things. I liked the, the analogies. I thought in the role playing, I really liked that a lot. And the, I'm looking for it now. And I liked about, you know, there were three. I liked calling to continue the conversation. And I liked, um, you know, what compelled you to, you know, to reach, you know, what compelled you about the house to make you reach out. Those were my, to me, those were the three biggest takeaways. And it's funny, I remembered, you know, the making the coffee. Did you talk about that last year at Summit? No, I didn't say that. I don't think that was me. It was maybe, I said it before, but I don't know if it was me. Oh, okay. Yeah, the coffee's already made. It was, I, then it was something that with you, maybe it's something that I, you know, I don't know if you posted it. I wrote, I told, I wrote it. I wrote it was on, it was on the Facebook page once. Okay, that's what you said. That's what yeah. About them, yeah, I'm the coffee's already made, and it's amazing when people people are you know our first impression is let me really wow my client by doing so much for them, but that increases the sense of obligation that then now people go no 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 do less. So if you if you do less and just build up slowly, 
And again, I hate to use this analogy, it's sort of like dating. You know, you do a little bit at a time and build up. Make the person feel comfortable. Don't make the feel, person feel like you're creepy, okay? Because, you know, we've all had that creepy experience in our life. And and Wendy has, because she's laughing. You want to kind of avoid that creepiness, right? Um, that's it. So that's basically where we want to go from. All right, everybody, thank you so much. Um, I got to have another session coming up. But Michael, I really appreciate this. Everybody, thank you so much. And uh, I really help. I really appreciate everybody's help. Thank you, Gary. This was awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time for us. And I'm looking forward to doing it again soon. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Gary. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye. Bye. All right, guys. Bye. Bye.